Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, thank you today for joining us on the episode of our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I serve as the host. I'm here with my partner in crime, Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, for the past several episodes, we've been talking about everyone's favorite topic, and that is suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, No one likes to talk about it, but everyone certainly experiences it. And if you recall, Frank, the first few chats we had were uh, focusing on our Savior. Then we spent a few episodes talking about Paul the Apostle. But today, my friend, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk about a different Apostle, this time the Apostle Peter. So when Mm -hmm. I mention Peter, sir, what comes into your mind? Well, obviously, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind, but summarized probably under the phrase pride fallen on its backside. (laughs) First thoughts of Peter, of course, are always the brass, strong, confident, boastful man. And then, of course, instantly the second thing that comes to mind is that this strong, confident, boastful, strong man Falls on his backside three times denying Christ with a little girl, one of them. So that's the one-two punch. And one of the sad things, John, is that a lot of people out there, especially in the grace camp, so focus on the Apostle Paul as the Apostle of Grace that they forget that Peter was an apostle of grace. And they so focus on the fact that Paul suffered greatly, and and boy, he did, like no other apostle. But Peter suffered as well. And in fact, the other apostles were all apostles of grace, and they all suffered. And so even though Paul is the great champion of grace, we don't ever want to neglect the others, and especially the other named Peter. Oh, yes, indeed, my friend. Well said. When I think about Peter, I think about, I mean, the gem of a phrase he said in Matthew 16 when he says, wow, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, that's amazing. So in tune with Father. And then one chapter later, Matthew 17, he's at the transfiguration. And basically he says, Hey, guys, it's a good thing I'm here. (laughs) I'm the one you want. Hey, let me make three tabernacles for you. So sometimes he says great things. Sometimes he talks, but he shouldn't say anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, he's the first to step out of the boat in Matthew 14. He walks on the water. But Frank, he got in a little bit of a a little bit of a trouble there, didn't he? You know, John, uh, people criticize Peter. I've heard them criticize him a lot. 
over that passage. And I always try to remind him, uh, he's the only one that got out of the boat. That's right. <laughs> you know, the other 11 stayed in the boat. So Peter had great faith. Uh, maybe we could call it impulsive faith, even better. Yeah. Uh, because when he got out there, then he looked at himself. And boy, isn't that our biggest problem? We take our eyes off of Jesus and look at ourselves. And that's when he started to sink. So his faith was impulsive. It wasn't tenacious. It didn't last. It wasn't consistent. And boy, that sounds like us, doesn't it, John? It sure does, <laughs> my friend. You know, as I as I looked over some of these events in Peter's life, getting ready for these episodes, the first thought that came to mind was that Peter was a diamond in the rough. And, you know, like we talked about with Jesus, he needed the shaping and the polishing and the stretching and the grinding to really make him the gem that he was, to bring out the glory of the Lord Jesus in him. And Father did that through suffering, just like he did through his son, the Messiah, just like he did through Paul. He used suffering to bring out the glory of Jesus Christ in Peter. And so, Frank, what I'd like to do for the next couple of episodes is talk about a few of the incidents in Peter's life where, where we can see what his suffering was and the way that it changed him. So I want to begin with something you've already mentioned. That's his denial of Jesus around the campfire. So fill in a little background there, my friend. What was going on? Well, we find this strong, brave, impetuous, boastful man. Jesus has told them that he is going to die repeatedly. It just didn't sink in. And we don't want to be hard on the disciples, you know, John, because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and therefore didn't have revelation. It went into their brain, what he taught, not so much into their mind and heart. And so when they left the upper room on that final night, and then the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, boastful, arrogant, strong Peter draws his sword and hacks off the ear of Malchus. So he didn't hear Jesus. He, he didn't listen with ears to hear. And again, he didn't have the spirit. But Jesus stops him and says, you know, this has to happen. Heals Malchus. You wonder whatever happened to Malchus if that yeah. guy became a believer. And you would think that would have gotten through to Peter. But it didn't. Jesus is being held for trial. And again, he followed you know, people want to be critical of Peter, but where were the other guys? Peter followed. He was there. And, of course, a little girl recognized him and said that's one of his disciples, and Peter denied. And then another guy recognized him and said, you're surely one of those disciples, and he denied. And then third time he was recognized, and, and he rejects that with cursing and swearing and rage and... Of course, Jesus looked at him. And John, that look, you know, I've meditated on that look for decades, as I know you have too. I don't think it was a look of shame or anger or even disappointment on the part of Jesus, because Jesus had told him ahead of time. 
You're going to deny me three times. And again, without the Holy Spirit, it wasn't revelation. But when that third denial came, Jesus looked at him. And I believe, John, that it was a look of sorrow. You know, when I see the heart of God revealed in both Old and New Testament, God is not this codependent, he's going to have a bad day if you have a bad day kind of God. He is completely self-sufficient. He has life in himself, and he is completely and totally holy love. And I don't think he gets upset when somebody violates his law or sins against him with this mindset of, how dare you, little ant, now here, I'm going to squash you. Yeah, I think it's a heart that says, boy, I wish you didn't have to go through what you're going through. You're going to have to go through some consequences because of your choices. Uh, that's the heart of God. His yeah. love for us doesn't want us to suffer, but poor choices uh, bring suffering sometimes. You know, as I think about that look as well, Frank, uh, my mind first runs to how Peter must have felt. What's going through Peter's mind at that time? Shame, failure, devastation. You know, he spent three years of his life with Jesus, and it seemed like everything was falling apart. Everything he hoped for, dreamed, worked for. I think he was just broadsided and he was crippled, emotionally crippled. And when I think of Jesus, look, I just think of the compassion, the way he looked at everybody who was suffering, whom he met yeah. when he was on earth. That same look of compassion and beyond compassion, a promise of restoration as well, mm -hmm. because uh, yeah. this was necessary for Peter to begin the process of going from uh, an arrogant uh, know-it-all fisherman mm. to a tender-hearted, sensitive shepherd, wasn't it? Mm. And you know, John, as I just reflect on that and what you were saying, it's fascinating, but Peter has just left the upper room and heard Jesus say, without me, you can do nothing. And yet he's going to draw that sword mm -hmm. and he's going to function. He gets corrected. That's plan A. That's the lecture. But he doesn't hear the lecture. No. And so then he falls on his backside as he functions independent. Of course, again, he didn't have the spirit yet. But I can't help but think of that verse. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, John, every one of us is a whisker away from a life-changing poor choice. And Peter made three of them. Yes. <laughs> and Jesus told him he was going to have him. And, and like you say, guilt, and I think an even worse feeling he was having was shame. Yeah. Not only that I did wrong, but boy, there's something wrong with me. Because he hadn't been made right yet through the work of the new covenant. That's right. You know, there's a caution in here for us as well, Frank. When I go back to uh, the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples, he says that night, they're going to scatter. You guys are going to scatter after the shepherd struck. Peter says, nah, 
the others might, not me. I'm staying tight. And Jesus says, you'll deny me three times, Peter. And then Peter says this, Frank, I'll die first. Death mm. first. I mean, that to me is the most concentrated, passionate resolve that a person can have. Mm. And we all have that. We get passionate and we get strongly devoted to some idea, some goal, some dream, some vision. But it never lasts, my friend, because mm. it's all powered by our own strength and our own will and our own intent. And sometimes Father has to get that out of us through suffering the same way he did through Peter before he can really begin to work with us. So I see myself, mm. and I've known you for decades, I see you <laughs> here as well, my friend. And just the gritted determination that Peter had that was great to have, but it was just focused wrong. And of course, in John 21, Jesus stepped in to remedy and heal Peter mm -hmm. and begin to refocus that passion. So tell us what happened in John 21, Frank. Well, John, before we run to John 21, I think we might take a good detour to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay. A rabbit uh, trail, a Friedman <laughs> rabbit trail. A good rabbit trail. When Paul teaches about the resurrection, he says that he himself saw the resurrected Christ at Acts chapter 9, years later, after the other apostles. But when he says Jesus rose from the dead, he talks about how Jesus appeared to the women. He appeared to the 11 disciples. He appeared to the 500, we know from other passages. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he appeared to Peter. I think that's a fascinating insight. And yet the Holy Spirit has chosen to not tell us any of those details. But I have to wonder, when we fail greatly, we are in need of supernatural comfort. And I believe that what went on there was this personal, beautiful, affirmation to Peter. But again, John, I don't think he heard it. He didn't quite yet learn it. I don't know many of us that are plan A learners, where we hear the lecture and our lives are transformed. Most of us are plan B, the school of life, where the lecture gets applied through the circumstances of life. And so Peter's going to have to go through that circumstance. <laughs> and that then kicks us into John 21. Uh, Do you have any thoughts before we go? What a great rabbit trail, my friend. I had forgotten about that particular little tiny phrase that Paul stuck in there. And I think it was a way for the Savior to reach out. And as you said, begin the process of comforting. Because I tell you, Frank, if I were to walk with someone for three years and be convinced he was Messiah and then deny him, that's a pretty deep hole to climb out of. Yeah. And I think the Savior knew the work he had laid out for Peter, and he knew what would be required yeah. in Peter's life to restore him. And so that first step basically said, you're still my guy, Peter. There's more to learn. Trust me. 
here I am alive in front of you. So you were wrong. I was right. So you got to trust me now, son, as we take Mm -hmm. these next steps. And boy, were they some uh, healing next Mm -hmm. steps, weren't they, in John 21? Yeah. And Jonah, I look at it and I just almost see it as necessity. I read in scripture, God loves me. But there's always this, does he really love me? I, yeah. I mean, he he can love others because they're so much easier to love than to love the likes of me. We do the same thing with forgiveness. You know, it's like, well, I know he forgives others, but my goodness, forgive me after what I've done. There's always this lingering sense of, do I really know what I know? I know that he graces me, but does he really? That does much? He re- does he do yeah. it that much? So I think we're in a school where doubt is just a part of the curriculum because, you know, we see the world. We don't see God except through eyes of faith. We know the truth, but there's the liar. There's the accuser. And there's almost a sense, John, in which we really don't graduate and get our degree until face to face. I think of the words of Thomas Watson. He was an old Puritan and I was reading him years ago. And in one of his books, he said, beware the man who says he never doubts. He's that man is a liar and you can't trust him. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. So Peter, I think there was that compassion restoration and yet he was in need of the lab and that's John 21. And as you know, Jesus was just masterful tactician. He set the stage perfectly. They're out fishing, haven't caught a thing. He calls out to them from the shore, hey, cast your net on the other side. Now, these guys are lifelong fishermen. They know what they're doing. But you know, when you're fishing all day and you get nothing, you get desperate. So they paid attention to this stranger on the shore. And me, I'd have probably called out, I don't need your help. Uh, <laughs> yeah, beat it, buddy. <laughs> you're you're bugging because I'm already bugged. But they threw the net. And of course, the huge fish. And Peter goes, it's the Lord. And again, John, look at this. But don't be too critical of Peter. The other 11 are hauling in, the other 10 are hauling in the fish. Uh, Peter's diving into the water to go be yeah, Jesus. He's on his so, way to Jesus. Yeah. yeah. When they get there, there's a campfire. And that was where he denied him and around a campfire. So Jesus has set the stage. And as you know, he asked three times, Peter, do you love me? And, you know, when a lot of people read that, they begin to question what happened to the idea of remembering our sins no more, of casting them as far as the East is from the West, especially since the crucifixion's taken place and the sins have been paid for. Well, I think the body of Christ needs a little bit of further instruction. That doesn't mean God has amnesia. God is omniscient. He knows all things. So it's not that he forgets our sin. It's that he chooses to not bring them up to us in an accusatory fashion, in a condemning fashion. It's simply bringing him to a place of recognition. There's no guilt or shame or anything like that. 
Peter, in his desperation, each time says, you know that I love you, you know I love you. And the third one, of course, he's really desperate, and he just cries out, Lord, you know, you know I love you. And that, I think, is an appeal. Lord, you know my heart, even though I didn't live according to my heart. And again, that's us, John. We don't live according to who we are. And so people go, well, then why did this happen? Why did Jesus do that? And I believe with all my heart, the key is in Jesus' response. Three times, three denials, three questions of Peter's love, three affirmations from Peter of his love, and threefold response from Jesus. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, here's the key. What had Peter been called to do before he failed? Feed the sheep. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you're still my guy. You're still my friend. You're still the one I've called. Nothing you've done has changed who I've called you to be. John, that is so beautiful. As a pastor, I had to go through what was called an ordination. And at an ordination, a board of very godly and wise and scholarly men grilled the daylights out of you about your Bible knowledge, your theology, your doctrine, and your practical application of that doctrine to the church and to people's lives. And it's a grueling thing. It's like a lawyer studying for the bar, a doctor studying for an MCAT, a doctoral student studying for his dissertation. And I, I can remember the fear and the apprehension. Here's the key. I believe with all my heart. Peter's ordination given by Jesus centered on one thing, the grace of God. Peter, do you understand grace now? You're still my guy, no matter what you've done. I've done for you. You own what I've done for you. And then you live for me. That's grace. And Peter passed the ordination. He did. He struggled with grace, like all of us do, yeah, right? Yeah, he, he certainly did. You know, listening yeah. to you talk, my friend, you mentioned a point that nothing changed in the eyes of Jesus when he looked at Peter. He's still his guy. But, you know, part of this restoration at that campfire on the lakeshore was that Peter could begin to think the same way Jesus did. Oh, definitely. Because not only did Jesus lay out these three failures, but he did so, so that Peter could recognize what happened, why he did what he did, mm-hmm. admit what he did. It's almost mm-hmm. like opening up a deep infection to let mm-hmm. all the problem out so that you can begin to heal. Mm-hmm. And so Peter's healing had to come from acknowledging fully what he did. You and I, like most people, Nobody likes to go back to our failures. Mm. You know, we want to move on. But if we don't deal with them, they can just become sore spots in our lives, crippling Mm. us uh, for years. And Jesus wanted more for Peter than that. Mm. And so he went through this exercise, painful, 
but loving and restorative all the same. And when Peter walked away, my goodness, Frank, he was a brand new man. I know we're jumping ahead to the next episode, but the <clears> next <throat> time we run across Peter doing something amazing, it's in Acts chapter two. <laughs> mm -hmm. And bro, there is a different man who stands mm -hmm. up in Acts two than the fellow here around the campfire with Jesus. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I'd synopsis it listening to you, John. He had to acknowledge what he did to fully embrace what Jesus did for him. Ah, well said. And in that full embrace, that's what transformed him. It kept his eyes on Jesus. It helped take his eyes off of himself. And he entered in to the journey of faith. And again, that's a key phrase, John, that a lot of people out there, and especially in the grace movement, are forgetting about. We have a journey ahead of us. I heard somebody once say that Christian faith is the only faith where we begin at the finish line. That's not true. It sounds good, <laughs> but it's not true. We're not at the finish line. The Apostle Paul himself in Philippians 3 said, I've not yet arrived. We arrive in the victory. We arrive in the finished work. The victory is already ours. We've already been crucified, buried, resurrected, seated in heaven, received the Holy Spirit, and we stand perfect and righteous. But walking that out, it's a school. And Peter is now enrolled in that school. And we're going to find out that he's in elementary school very, very quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, Frank, talking about school as we wrap this up, it seems like every course in that school in which we're enrolled has a section on suffering. Because mm -hmm. suffering, as we saw with Jesus, as we saw with Paul, mm. as we are seeing with Peter, suffering is a key part to keeping us focused mm -hmm. on our journey. So it's mm -hmm. not something that we welcome, but mm -hmm. it's something that we need to own just as Peter did. So we can become all that our father wants us to be in Christ. Mm -hmm. So friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast, and we're really grateful that you've joined us today. If some of the thoughts that you've heard have uh, blessed you, encouraged you, we invite you to take a step further. Go to our website, OurResoluteHope.com. We've just been rebuilding that, so you'll see some new things. In addition to lots of articles, devotionals, books, etc., all centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, but even more as our very life. Don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram. We've got our own YouTube channel. Always new material popping up there. And as always, we close with this same reminder that we have a hope as an anchor for our soul. No matter how much we suffer, no matter which circumstances we find ourselves in, we could be as deeply troubled as we've talked about Peter was today. Uh, we have a hope, a living hope, Peter calls it in his first epistle, a resolute hope, Frank and I call it. That's a steadfast, immovable, bedrock kind of hope. And that hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. 
He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.